Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Daisy is Careering. My name is Daisy Buchanan. I'm the host of the Your Book podcast and the author of Careering, a comic novel about Imogen, the eternal intern who finally gets her dream job, and Harry, her boss, a woman who has put much of her life on hold for work only to discover that her job will never love her back. Can they win against the system that's stacked against them, or is a rebellion the only way out? In this podcast, I speak to people I admire about the themes and issues that come up in careering. Are complicated love affairs with careers, achievement and ambition? Can we ever find fulfilment in the work we love? Or should we step away completely from toxic girl boss culture and try to find dreams that are bigger than our jobs? In this episode, I speak to the international best-selling author of The Push, Ashley O'Drain, about how writing was and is her dream job and how easy it is for us all to make compromises that serve our anxiety until playing it safe becomes dangerous. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Well, I wanted to be a writer. That is what I've always wanted to be. Um, And I think a writer of novels in particular, I really... That was a fantasy, like very much a fantasy that somebody could become a novelist. And um, that, yeah, that, that for as long as I can remember, that is what I'd always wanted to be. Although, of course, I did not pursue that um, until much later in life. Do you know where that came from when you first got the sense that, oh, there are stories that I love and someone is out there crafting them? Yeah, I think especially around the time I was probably pre-teen, and um, reading the Babysitter's Club books, which were such a big part of sort of shaping how I understood that fiction that had real appeal to my life and who Mm. I could be. And these girls were not much older than I was. And this real reflection of, um, you know, telling the story of, you know, of, of these young girls who were my age and doing these cool things. And, and that idea of, how prolific that was like they, like they they would come you know there was always a new one coming out and the idea of falling in love with this series and going to the store and trying to the bookstore with my mom and trying to find one I hadn't read yet or waiting for them to come out and um that felt so magical you know it's so funny I just wrote a book for a very small British indie publisher called The Pound Project and the book's called Burn Before Reading. Well, Daisy, I have it here. I have it right here. I ordered it. Oh my goodness. Oh, Ashley, that's so sweet of you. That's amazing. So as you know, possibly, um, it was the Babysitter's Club books that yeah, they were like the first books I chose. And I was really lucky because my family, you know, everyone was a big reader and there were lots of books around, but a lot of the books that were kind of given to me mm. and sent my way were written yes. a long time ago. And they were quite often about children going through real 
and deprivation and they were important lessons to learn but the babysitters club was that was the first book the first time I was like oh you can just have this universe where everything is like okay and quite cozy and obviously there's peril obviously like Marianne and Logan have their fights and but they're sort of their personalities and their spirit and that it was yeah I, I obviously I wanted to live in exactly. Stony Brook. Oh, that's so funny, Daisy. It's so funny. This, your copy of Burn Before Reading, which is so, I know this is podcast, so people can't see I'm holding it up, but it's this lovely little book and it just arrived in the mail yesterday. So our, our timing was really impeccable, but I haven't oh, had a chance my gosh. to read it yet, but that's funny that you mentioned that. I'm very I'm delighted about that Babysitter's Club link. And also that your ambition was author, not childcare. <laughs> Yes, very much so. Very much so. And in fact, I really loathed babysitting as a, as a teenager. It was, I never wanted to do it. I did not enjoy it, but there, but it was, it was more, um, just, it was more just being pulled into this world that was created and the characters and the friendships and, um, the, you know, the, the time and light, like the age of the girls. And yeah, that, that really made me feel, I remember feeling like I want to do this. I want to create this too. Um, and, and then also, you know, writing, like writing a lot at that time, like really always wanting to write stories and loving English class and loving, um, you know, writing everything from fiction to essays or short stories or whatever it was that was sort of on the curriculum at that time in school. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I really think that, um, it felt so, unattainable at the same time you know even though I could hold these books in my hand and was still in love with them and you know was read ferociously I I didn't know a writer you know I didn't know an off like an author I, I certainly you know didn't know a novelist um and I and it, it felt like it, it did it felt so far away and this unattainable thing um and I don't know that I think it just took me a long time to feel like oh well I could I could do that you know much much older in my adult life and so I understand that um, before you uh, wrote the push, you were working in publishing. And how did that career begin? When did you become aware that this was kind of an industry? And did you start sort of, was that where you began your working life? Or mm. did you move from doing something else? Was there, what was your route in? No, I really did not. I did not begin there. I began in public relations, working at um, a PR firm, PR agencies. Um, I worked at a few different ones. Um, probably for the first 10 years of my working life. Um, and actually, it, 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 I've obviously read Careering, your book, which was so, oh, it's just so good. And it, it, it made me, although that is set in the world of magazines, um, it made me very nostalgic for the days of PR agency life, because it is very similar, actually, that the, the dynamic, the buzz, the relationship between coworkers and um, you know, it was, I was working, um, you know, in media relations and for consumer brands and some fashion brands and, um, technology and entertainment. And, um, so I started there with, you know, in that world as an intern and then a very, very, very junior account executive and sort of, you know, would work my way, work my way up. Um, and, um, sorry to interrupt, but was there an element? Thank you so much for oh, enjoying careering. Yeah, I'm so, so happy great. that you did. Um, uh, I mean, I remember, I don't know if this lands or not. I very, very briefly worked in PR mm. and I was awful at it. But I remember thinking, oh, that's quite glamorous. That's quite fabulous because that's what uh, Gwyneth Paltrow does in Sliding Doors, yeah. even though she has an <laughs> awful time 
in that movie. But I remember thinking, oh, that's quite a fun, if you can't write the magazines, yeah. this is a way to be around the magazines. And was it, were you drawn to it because of those sort of, totally. the feelings of it? the glamour of the industry. Absolutely. Yes. I remember thinking, I mean, I had gone to university for like a studied a media program in my undergrad. Um, and I remember, I actually remember thinking as, you know, a student in university, um, I would have loved to, to be on the media side, you know, I would have loved to be or, or, you know, writing or, you know, doing something far more, I think, creative or like producing content. Um, but I remember thinking at that time, well, I can't do that because I'll never make money. Like I will never be able to have a steady paycheck and I need to, I, I had this idea, I think because of the way I grew up and sort of watching my parents and their jobs and, you know, money always being an issue and them not loving their jobs or their careers at all. I remember thinking, well, I need to do something where, you know, I can make money and I need to be in business. I need to be, you know, you sort of get that feeling I think especially at that time like I graduated university in 2005 there was all of that you know narrative around being a woman in business and being you know all of this girl power and having it all and this you know that that was the narrative then and you I sort of felt like I needed to have a job that gave me a bit of cachet or power or and that felt like an office job you know an office job where you could slowly climb the ranks um I and can so, really see the visual. We were all like, you know, this sort of very like jewel tone skirt suits and looking very done, very polished, perfect blow dries. What did your parents do? Are they still, you know, working at the moment? Or? Mm-hmm. They're sort of, they're on their way to retirement now. But, you know, growing up, my mother always worked in retail. And um, that I, I remember she worked so hard, like she really worked so hard and she would work so many hours and she had to work the holidays and evenings and weekends. Um, and I remember, um, I just, she, she didn't, she loved the idea of, she, the mother loved clothing and she loved fashion and she loved to be around that kind of thing, but she didn't love working the retail hours. I mean, she had three young girls, she had three young kids and she was working that job um, like at various retailers. And I just remember thinking, God, that's so hard. It was so hard, you know, and it wasn't very fulfilling or satisfying. Um, And my father worked um, mostly as a mortgage broker, you know, for most of my childhood, but was always self-employed. And that self, I remember just thinking, I remember just being very aware of, wow, like he, you know, he has control of his schedule and his office and he has this sense of, you know, freedom, like he doesn't have to work for anybody. And that was always this, um, you know, thing that he he didn't want to work for anybody. He wanted to work for himself. But along with that came a lot of financial stress and a lot of financial pressure. And um, he always, I, I felt like he was always very sort of affected by that, you know, and I, and, and I think what I took away from that is, well, I don't want to be worried about money in that way. Um, you know, I wanted that sort of more steady paycheck that felt, um, sort of elusive to us, to, to, to him at that time. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating what we absorb when we're mm-hmm. children and the values we have about work and, you know, how it defines us or not and the choices we make. And I think that, you know, people forget people are always kind of, I don't know if this resonates with you, but sometimes I feel like when I was a child, people were always sort of trying to manage my expectations Mm -hmm. and like, you know, don't like dream big, but, but not too big, like be realistic. And I think children actually, 
you know, probably aren't thinking after a certain mm-hmm. point, you're like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll be a fireman, I'll be in the circus, mm-hmm. that we're so aware and anxious and nervous. And we look at the people that we, you know, idolize and love and trust who seem to have all the answers and think, oh my goodness, if you're struggling, then I I need to start thinking about how I'm going to avoid this pain and stress. Mm-hmm. And we never sort of think, oh, well, no matter what you do, the pain and stress is inevitable. You always think, you know, what's my escape route? How can I... Yes. avoid this yeah I, I, yes that really resonates with me and I think I financially I really felt that way I really felt like I you know my parents did fine and we you know never went without and you know like but that it was but they worked they worked so hard and it was always a topic always an issue and I feel like um I remember thinking well I I just remember thinking I need to be financially independent like that is that was my takeaway from that was that I did not want to worry in the way that they worried about money um but also but the message really the message that I got from them very loud and clear I think through you know all my childhood and certainly kind of in you know high school and university was get an education, be more, do more. Like there, there was really, my parents really, they never really said to me or never put the pressure on to say, you know, you need to have a job that pays the bills or whatever. And and I put myself through university. I mean, I had to work all through university and, you know, there, there was, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't this free ride at all. Um, but I do feel like they really did have this, you can do anything message. Um, and so I think I felt I was lucky, I think, in a sense that I felt both. I did feel like I could go and be the very first person to go to university in the family. Like that was an exciting thing. Um, but I but I knew that I I wasn't in a position to, you know, just try to be a writer, for example, or, um, you know, yeah, I, I did feel that pressure for sure. And I think that really shaped why I went into public relations because I felt I felt like it offered me both. It offered me this excitement, exciting world. And I wanted to work for other women. And, you know, it was a very female dominated space. And I loved the idea, just like in your book about, you know, going to the office and the outfits and all of that. I, I loved that at that time, you know, being a young graduate. Um, but I also, I, I was very hungry for money and hungry for promotion and hungry to feel just um just to have that financial independence I think that's such an exciting and specific feeling Mm -hmm. that I think really characterizes you know our 20s especially it sounds like you know sort of you're you know talented and ambitious and academic and I think that when you do really well at school you have a lot of that sort of energy where you we want so much to do so well but mm. you're so used to kind of being told how to do well and then you get to your job and nobody wants to give you a grade nobody <laughs> yeah. wants to give you some sort of merit badge so you've got to kind of figure out those feelings and it's like I'm so ambitious and I want this so much and I'll do anything but also please tell me what to do because I don't know this this is so new totally yeah I, I do remember that and I remember being so I, I am a person and I, I I very much was so then that needed those gold stars and needed the praise and needed the feedback. Um, and so I, I actually think that sort of junior working life suited me well because, you know, you people do that. That is really what you get. I, mean, I remember women, you know, that were more senior than me really taking me under their wing and, you know, giving me lots of feedback and wanting to help me succeed I, I, and succeed. And I really liked that new experience, you know, of being, of having that dynamic in an office and in a job and, feeling like, yes, there was no grade, but there were, you know, you would work so hard for that one 
you know, comment <laughs> from somebody more senior than you to say, wow, good job, well done, or those emails that they would send back, you know, saying after you'd worked all night on a presentation, you know, saying this is so well done, or this is so great. I mean, I lived, I really lived for that. I feel like that was um, so important to me back then, you know, as a very type A, high achieving young woman <laughs> in that environment. And I think it means so much when someone who is senior mm. and experienced and seems very cool is willing to take the time to mentor you and help. I do. Yeah, I, lo- I love that about the that kind of working world. I love that about those early career days. Um, as a young woman who didn't, like, I, I mean, I, I mentioned like sort of that, that childhood, I, I didn't have any um, like examples or women that I looked up to that were like career women, you know, I didn't know any, like they, they were not the mothers of my friends and they were not, you know, anyone in my family, like the the women that I knew at that age were really, um, you know, like working jobs, but they weren't, they weren't in, they weren't in that world or at that echelon Mm -hmm. of really being these like successful career women who were mentoring and who were, you know, you really looked up to in that world um, because, you know, I didn't live in the city and I didn't, we just weren't exposed to that. And so that really was very like captivating, I think, for me to like to interact with these women and feel like I was learning something from them. Um, And I really, I guess, because I was in that world, I really only ever worked for women. And I loved that. I loved that about it. I loved that. I felt very um, like mentored and I, I, yeah, that really meant a lot to me and shaped, I think, a lot of me. That's really powerful. And I think probably really unusual. I imagine there aren't many of us who can say that, but I mean, that's what I loved about working for magazines. Mm. And I think of um, the team at uh, Bliss, the, the teen mag where I started and yeah, it was, uh, you know, all all girls, all amazing, amazing, you know, women. And I think it, that was kind of the first time. So I started when I was oof, 23. Mm. And these women who were like in their mid-30s, who are slightly younger than I am now, yeah. and looking at them be like, wow, you've got it all figured yeah. out. Yeah. Um, your life is amazing. And then there was this, um, the, the publisher, um, was this very sweet uh very kind of tired man I mean one problem we have I remember like really fighting for a story this is quite serious about um FGM and it came mm. from save the children mm. possibly and it was one of those really really sensitive things and I sort of I wanted to include it and there was a whole like oh you know the advertisers are freaked out and you know for good reasons really really nervous about sort of her safety and her identity and anonymity but I remember that you know feeling very sort of obviously it's the wrong it wasn't Ali McBeal because it wasn't the law but that's I must fight for this thing I believe in so much I'm being a real journalist it's true because you you do get you do find those moments for the first time right I think around that age like you and in that I can I totally remember those same kind of experiences of feeling like you have this idea and you want to, and you feel so passionate about it and you want to convince everyone that it's the right idea and the right, you know, you, you sort of, for the first time, I think you sort of find this, you sort of toy with this conviction in yourself, you know, that, and it's, and it, and you are, and you, and you were, and you were for the first time meant to convince others around you and play this role on a team. And it is very powerful. And it does feel like the stuff that movies are made of and you do yeah. convince, I convinced myself, <laughs> no, this, this ends on everyone standing on their desks and applauding me. Oh. <laughs> like the narcissist I am. <laughs> So how did you move from PR into publishing? So at, Were you, was the, the books, was that sort of a burning passion yeah. that was just 
kind of get roaring mm-hmm. more loudly. Yes, for sure. I think the thing about working in public relations agencies, you know, on the when your clients are in that sort of consumer space, um, you know, I, I as, as much as I loved it and loved the teams and the people and the buzz of it all and the energy of it all, you know, at the end of the day, you are working so hard to help your client promote you know, a chocolate bar or a laundry detergent or some fashion item, you know, and it it felt it, I think after a while, it started to feel to me like um, the meaning was, was getting sort of, I I couldn't find the meaning that I really wanted in it. Um, And I had met, um, well, this is a whole nother topic, I think, about the friendships we form at work, which are so unique and some of my best friendships today, for sure. But I'd met a woman named Beth, um, and we had both been very junior um, account executives at one of the PR agencies I worked for. And we really clicked right away and we um, loved working together. And then she moved on to other jobs and so did I, but we always stayed in touch and had lunch all the time and were quite close. And she eventually worked her way over to working in publishing. And she was at Penguin Random House Canada and she was um, had become you know their, their most senior sort of publicity marketing person there. And one day she called me and she knew at the time I was, you know, becoming a little disenchanted with that PR agency world. And I was doing all sorts of writing classes and writing all the time. And um, like I would take all these night courses, um, you know, doing fiction writing. And she knew how much I loved all of that. And a job came up on her team um, to work in publicity there. And so she called me and said, I really think you should apply for this job. And and I had always just loved hearing her talk about her job and being in this world of publishing, which felt like this dream world, you know, to me. Um, And so I was very lucky to like apply for that job and get that job and headed up the publicity team there. Um, And she was my boss. She was the person I reported to. Uh, and, And so that to me felt like this, like such an exciting turn, you know, because I could do the things that I like, I could use all the skills that I had, um, but it was in this world of books, finally, and it felt, I remember it feeling just so exciting, but so daunting. And it's almost that thing, it was almost that feeling like, you know, when you sometimes get scared to meet your hero, because you're afraid they'll disappoint you. And it was that sort of same (laughs) feeling, like, I hope I love it as much as I think I will. Um, But I did, I really loved it. And I worked there for um, for a few years in publishing. Yeah. And it was, it, I really, it was that feeling of like a kid in a candy store, you know, going to work every day and totally intimidating. So, so intimidating, but just to be surrounded by all of those books and, you know, the authors and just to be, I remember just feeling so lucky, like sitting in on the conference room, you know, listening to these conversations and feeling like I just couldn't believe I was that privy to all of this information. I love that. And was it ever weird that your old friend and comrade was now your boss that, you know, you had this friendship that this is the person you're reporting to? You know, it really wasn't. And I think part of it was because I was so, it wasn't my world. Like she was bringing me into this world where she'd work for several years by that point. Um, and she was, she's just one of these women who she has no ego and she is so, and, you know, just so warm and supportive and, um, it, it really wasn't an issue. And also she actually went on maternity leave really soon after I joined. And then I filled in for her role while she was on maternity leave. So we actually didn't get that much. We had it, you know, just over a year where we weren't, you weren't even working together, but, 
I, yeah, it, it really wasn't an issue um, at all. And I was really grateful for that. But yeah, it's, and she's still a dear friend to this day. And actually she, now that I am published by Penguin, I, I still work with her in some capacity because she's my publisher. That is really awesome. Because I do think, you know, what you were saying that those friendships, when you are in that, especially mm-hmm. I think maybe before you turn sort of 30-ish mm-hmm. in those early years are just so full of so highs and lows and you, they really really bond you and it is over I think the sort of the all-nighters in the office mm-hmm. and you know the complaining the complaining for sure the complaining the walk we would walk you know the, there was at that time when I worked at Penguin there was three of us who were quite close another woman who was around our age who was kind of on our team and the three of us just felt so bond you you bond over the things that annoy you you bond over the wins you bond over the failures like I remember um you know, walking, we would walk every day for lunch, you know, to get salads together and chat the whole way and then chat the whole way back. And that was just this point in the day where you, you know, really look forward to. And we would, um, yeah, just, you know, the going for drinks after work and all of that. It was just such a part of life at that point in your 20s. You know, it was such a, I, I became, I really become as close to those work friends or I became as close to those work friends as I did to any other friends in my life. Someone asked me a really good question the other day and I was like, I don't know what to tell you, especially now. And I don't know if you have this where, you know, the work we do, so a lot of it is kind of, you know, mm. if we're lucky, you might have a lovely Zoom, but um, lots of it is quite, you know, you're, you're quiet and you're in a room on your own, but uh, working in an office and how, how do we kind of, convert those Hmm. work friendships to like real life friendships because I think that to a point it's super organic and if you're really lucky it helps if you've got kind of events to go to like at the magazine there are always launches and I imagine like you had Mm -hmm. book launches and things to go to but it really is quite scary to be the first one who's like oh do you want to do something on Saturday like side of work yes yeah. And they might like look askance. You're like, forget I said anything. Yeah, no, for sure. I, d- I do remember feeling that way. And similarly, once you leave a job, you know, how, how you continue those. And, um, you know, like uh, there, one, this, this th- third friend that we sort of had, this triangle of us when I was working in publishing, um, you know, we, I feel like we, once I left and I left to go to have my baby and, and we really didn't talk much after that. We really sort of life was just busy for me and busy for her. And there wasn't that, but then there would be instances or moments where I felt like something came up that was relevant, you know, to our friendship or something I knew she would love. And we would message each other or send an email or, and it really is like no time has passed, you know, even though you don't see them every day or recently I've seen her in person. And it's just, it, it was just this, it's like the same, the same thing, the same conversation that all kind of comes back um so yeah it, it, it's funny it's it there but I think also what's interesting about that is you don't I I find they are very low pressure friendships you know if on the scale of friendships I think there I think that there is something about those working friendships that you get so close just by sheer number of hours spent together you know and all of those things we're talking about but I think I think what's unique about them is that you I certainly never felt that same pressure to keep up or invite them to something special or you know you I, I feel like there is this license to to kind of let go when you have to and and I think that that's special about them or unique about them definitely especially now I think where you know maybe years ago people changed jobs a lot less people sort of stayed in the wrong place like you had your friends mm-hmm. and they were your friends and now we just can't I know the social media the internet is designed for this but we just cannot possibly be as close to all the people all the time yes. there's just not enough space in our heads so yeah I think that 
you know, to, to love someone and let them go and maybe they'll come back. Yeah. I think it's nice to take the pressure off. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm really curious about how it felt to be a person who loved writing and was working on this craft mm. and that you were doing it, you know, kind of in your own time. But then being in publishing, being around authors, learning about what's possible. And I sometimes think that it can, knowing much more about the industry and that world can be a real blessing and a curse I've got a friend who works in TV and has done more or less since she graduated and said that she got incredibly lucky because she just happened to talk to people email people be very you know bright and ambitious and enthusiastic but also she said if I'd had one realistic conversation with anyone who told me how hard it was to get into this field I just I wouldn't have tried I would have known too much like my ignorance you know, mm-hmm. brought me bliss. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can, I can, yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I think it's interesting. I, as I mentioned before, when I was working in the PR agency world, I was always writing. I was taking all these courses and trying to like work on that craft and all. And I loved that. When I started working in publishing, I really stopped doing all of that writing. At the time, I think I probably had the excuse of things were so busy and I had to read so much and, you know, adjusting to that new world or that new job. But I think really the reason I did not write at all for those few years is just that intimidation factor, you know, that really, I mean, it's intimidating enough to, you know, to, 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 to believe you could, you know, to think you could be a writer or write a novel. But then when you're in that world, you know, it just felt like, well, they are the writers and I am the person who promotes the books. You know, that is, I am on this side and they are on that side. And there felt like, I didn't feel like I could be one of them or had the right to be one of them. I mean, I didn't, I I think there's this pedigree 
um, you know, that a lot of writers have or that we think a lot of writers, we, we assign to a lot of writers. And I just didn't feel like I had that, you know, and I, I, I yeah, and I think that even and I mean, it's funny, because even though I was spending so much time with them, like I was a publicist, and I was taking them on tour and doing events with them and having all these lunches. And, you know, so in one way, I mean, I do know publicists who feel very like would say that well spending all that time with writers you realize that it's not intimidating and they are just people and you know and that is absolutely the truth but I didn't I didn't necessarily feel that way I did I did feel a bit of um a bit of yeah a lot of intimidation there and so yeah but but I do think it was a time of great learning and I can see that now too that it was probably the best education in writing that I had even though I was not writing (laughs) You know, learning how they worked and learning how they thought about their work and reading far more widely than I'd ever read before. Um, and that in itself was was real was a real education as a writer. Um, so there was that side of it, I think. But there, you know, there was also the side that I think now that, you know, I am a published author, I, I see it prepared me to see publishing. Um, with a very realistic lens. I, I understand that publishing first and foremost is a business because I've been on that business side. Um, and so that does not surprise me now as a writer. And I and I, I can approach it that way. I can see it through that lens, um, which I don't know that all writers can. I think it can be harder sometimes to understand it that way, but it, but it is, it's a business. And I know how decisions are made on the inside and I know how... Um, how the you know it's I, I sort of know how the sausage is made you know and so it, it does it does change it does change how it feels to be on the side a little I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of you know wide reading and you know if anyone were to ever ask me for any writing advice that's all I tell them mm. that anything I know about writing I have learned from reading for sure and also reading whatever I can get my hands on you know be that the Brontes or Jane Austen or the Babysitter's Club. Yes, um, yeah. But yeah, I think I still struggle with that, like the rational, practical, you know, not being, I don't know, sentimental isn't quite the right word. Mm. But, you know, when we do write, and I think that, you know, what makes your writing so, you know, beautiful and brilliant and meaningful and people respond to it so much because it's, you know, there's there's something really real. I feel as though you are telling the tale you want to tell you know Mm, what you're connected to and what you're driven to tell Mm. and I do sometimes think that as has happened with the push those Mm. are the stories that really really land that people really you know love and grab and I think that lots of people perhaps do approach you know publishing and writing in a way where they think oh I, I want to do something that I know is going to be popular yes and I think sometimes that works out but also I don't know I think we have to love our work because then we'll always have one fan. We do. That's right. No, we do. We really do. And I agree with that. And I think the push did feel that way. It felt like this story that I had to write that was burning in me. I, I really felt this obsession with that story um, and, and needing to write it. And I think that that is this magical thing as a writer, you know, when you when you can find that or when you can feel that way. Um, so I'm glad that comes across. So thank you for that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because at the time that I started writing that book, um, which was 2015, 
Um, it was around the time that, and actually I, I had read this book on submission right before I went on maternity leave, but girl on the train, it was that, it was that time where, you know, girl on the train was just coming out and was, you know, this huge success. Um, and there had already gone girl was already out. Like it, it, that, that whole world of, you know, call it domestic suspense or that, that kind of thriller, um, was really just taking off and was, and I, and having worked on the publishing side, that was what they were always looking for. You know, the editorial side was always looking for what that next book was going to be. Um, and then when it came time to write, I mean, I, because people will say, oh, were you, were you kind of influenced by that, by what was selling at the time? And I think it's hard not to be, it's hard not to, like, it's hard not to have that awareness and be in that world. And then, you know, you, you and know that that is what people are enjoying. I was going to say, I think those stories do set something off in our brains mm -hmm. where there can be like a genre or a feeling. And I think that can be as much of an imaginative trigger as everything. Like I didn't, I mean, yes. my, the novel that I have just handed in is now completely, completely, completely different from how mm. I originally conceived it. But I first started thinking about what it might be immediately after I watched um, Promising Young Woman. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I know lots of people who sort of who saw that movie mm. and went, oh, my God, we all sort of went off in different directions with it. But yeah, I think yeah. To, to read what's popular and what's kind of as a a reader rather than as a kind of as a trend forecaster yeah no totally and, and I think it, you're right it, it informs a mood while you're writing it the, you know there's an influence in voice I think for sure and just and of course you have to you know find your own voice and find your own story and all of that um but that is that is what is in the atmosphere at the time <laughs> that you were writing and so it, it does I think have an influence not that you can ever hope to replicate or copy or any of that because we know we know that that is not a game you will ever win you know it is you have to be original and and, and the, the also the practical matter of you know the pace at which books are published um you know what is hot today is you know not necessarily going to be hot two years from now when a book comes out that you might be working on now you know and so yeah you really have to just go with your instinct kind of thing kind of on it which is I think what happened with the push, I didn't, I was not setting out to write a thriller. Um, that's what, you know, was hot. And I was reading at the time. So it, that was in me, but I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't know how to write a thriller. I didn't think about structure of thriller. I didn't study them. It wasn't like that. Um, it kind of just ended up in this very suspenseful territory um, when, when what I wanted it to be really was this study of this family, you know, and that was, that was the core of what it started like do you recommend writing courses for new writers I must admit I've never I don't think I've ever been on oh. a writing course which seems like a sort of a like a remiss thing to like the arrogance of me <laughs> be like no I just thought I'd do it no you know I I really recommend it I mean it's funny because I I I mean I think maybe because I didn't study English I didn't study writing in like in university I didn't have an MFA like all of that was not it, that was not part of my world or my experience at all um and so I really felt like when I was I just felt like I knew nothing about, about how to go about it all um beyond the fact that I just loved to just start writing a scene and start writing a chapter and love the actual you know joy or act of writing um, but I, the reason I took the course was because I just, I wanted, I think two reasons. One, I wanted to feel some sense of, um, you know, I feel like I have this in me. I feel this feels so intuitive to me, but I almost wanted this gut check, you know, like, is it, am I on the right track? Is this good? Um, and so there was that, but there was also the critique 
part of it. You know, and I think that's what I took away the most from all of these writing courses I did, which were just, you know, night courses at the community college down the street. Um, but it was a chance or, or the very first chance, I think, that I had to show my fiction to anybody and have them read it and give feedback and critique. Um, and I that was terrifying, but also thrilling. You know, that feeling where you just it's the I absolutely loved it and completely feared it. And um, yeah, it was that standard, you know, format where you, you know, write something a week, you exchange it with everyone in the group, you all come to the table and you, you know, give each other feedback. And it was such a, one thing I loved about these, you know, very community writing courses was it was such a cast of characters in the class as well. And I, you know, you could write a whole novel about the people around the table, you know, in some of these classes. And all different backgrounds and all different experiences and all different ages. Um, and it was so, I've just found it so fun. And so I learned so much in that you, I, I mean, you certainly do learn just as much critiquing other people's work as you do receiving critique. Um, and so it was sort of this rough and tumble MFA style <laughs> you know, experience. And yeah, I just loved it. And I still stay in touch with a lot of those writers. Um, it was many years ago now, but um, I, I, every once in a while, I'll get an email from one. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, I don't know, it was really special. It was a special way to begin that writing journey in earnest, um, because you have to declare to people that you are writing and that you are, you know, and I, I don't think I ever told, I really, not many people knew I was even doing these writing classes all the time, but it was just this, yeah, it was just this really meaningful start I think to the whole thing um and I'm really grateful for that yeah and it, it was also it was also one of those actually there was oh, it's so interesting you'll appreciate this um but there was one woman who um at, this was pre 50 shades and she was in her 60s maybe she maybe she was maybe in her mid 60s she was wonderful this woman Sylvia I really loved her and she was writing erotic fiction in that class and that and everyone I remember everyone being so like what you're writing erotic fiction like and it was it was you know all of these people just blushing around the table you know reading this stuff and I just I loved her work and I thought it was so bold and interesting and she really believed that this could be something and I think most people doubted her and then lo and behold you know we had that the 50 shades and everything that came after and I, I always think of her to say she, she was a real visionary in that class yeah that's amazing I love that and I love the confidence of yes. sharing that work yes. and it was so interesting because when you were talking about that and kind of like the feedback and I was thinking and I'm sure now you know you've had that experience of kind of like people will just say anything on like Goodreads or Instagram yeah. whatever and sometimes it's really lovely and sometimes it ruins your weekend <laughs> yeah. um I mean I'm sure not I'm sure they only say brilliant things about the oh, no. well, brilliant. <laughs> uh, but the idea of like being sat around a table hearing mm -hmm. people telling me what they think I'm like oh god that sounds awful that sounds horrible and I'm like, you know what actually maybe it's a really really brilliant skin thickener maybe yeah. I could do with a little bit more of that now yeah it really is it is it actually prepared me very well for being edited later you know as in this position that I am in now where I've you know got editors and lots of feedback lots of very official you know feedback um it, it does it, it did it I it totally thickened my skin that experience I'd love to know about future novels mm. for you and what it's like to because you know you what happened with your debut novel does not happen to 
I would say 99.9999% mm. of writers where it's sort of this, you know, international bestseller, um, sort of hugely exciting for everyone. When, after that has happened, how do you sit down and kind of create a new world and mm. step away from all of that and liberate yourself mm. from the pressure to do it again? Oh, thanks. Well, I, you know, it was interesting because I think, so when I, when the push sold, um, it was a two book deal and, um, I sold the second book on an idea. It was, I had a one pager of this idea that, you know, truthfully was not very thoroughly thought out, (laughs) but it was this, you know, a concept of what I really wanted the second novel to be. So I have this commitment, um, you know, to this idea. And because there was a really long period of time, there was 18 months between signing that book deal and then the push coming out, which was quite a long time, even for the world of publishing. And so I was able to get a first draft done of the second book in that time period, which was enormously helpful. I mean, it was a totally shitty first draft, as they all are, but um, maybe particularly bad, I will say. But it was there. It was something to work with. And it was a start. Um, And that really helped because it was just this anchor to keep going back to, you know, after when I had to turn my attention, you know, to writing, to, to keep writing that, to revising it after the push came out. But I think, you know, what was more challenging than anything was just the circumstance of the pandemic. I found that so hard as a writer. And I know we all, and I mean, I will preface this by saying one of the most privileged positions you could have been in, you know, in the world during the pandemic is a a writer who can stay home and write every day. Um, So there is that for sure. But um, I guess within that world, you know, with this deadline looming and two kids at home with schools closed and we had quite strict um there was quite strict rules here and in toronto and canada and like it was ruled you couldn't leave your house every like there was just there was it was felt very trapped and that's a very challenging environment in which to be creative (laughs) as you will know or as most people appreciate um and so that i found that hard i found that tricky because i felt very stifled in terms of just you know room to think and room to work and that was the time period where I was meant to be revising the book and working on it quite heavily. Um, so there was there was some pushed deadlines for sure, um, but eventually got through it and really had, I mean, the, the only solution was really to get up at five in the morning and write for a few hours every day and then do the homeschooling and, you know, do all of that and then maybe get another hour, you know, in the evening after they went to bed. But I found, yeah, I found that really grueling, really hard. Um, so that, that kind of, I would say that I think, you know, there might might, maybe writers in their second book situation like that who find themselves unable to like with writer's block or unable to kind of tap into that creativity or the same voice. And I feel like mine was always there kind of burning. There was just no time to address it, no time to let it out. So time was really the enemy at that point more than anything. And my goodness, getting up at five and just, you know, working about 24 hours a day mm. it sounds like I mean something that um I'd like to talk about more in this podcast I I don't mm. have children I have a lot of friends who do I think that it's easy to assume that a a very successful writer working from home you're like oh you, you could just do it all you can just fit it all in and it's all fine and I don't think it is fine. I think certainly in the UK, and I I want to believe that Canada is like way more progressive Mm. on it than we are because, you know, Canada is wonderful and because everyone is frankly more progressive (laughs) and on it in the UK. But I think there, there are just massive, massive gaps in terms of how we support, Mm. I'm going to say mothers especially, Mm -hmm. and this sort of 
having it all and and I guess it kind of it maybe helps a little bit when children are at least at school and out of the house Mm -hmm. when there's not a pandemic going on and I guess that you know we know those gaps are there and no one wants to talk about them and I think the pandemic really exposed them oh for sure no yeah I I would love to talk about just that just that the that whole idea of um well you know motherhood and work um but I think yes also motherhood and creative work um, you know, it's it's interesting because when um, I guess just to back up a little, when I when the when I left publishing, I, I left because I was going to go on maternity leave, and that was in Canada. We have twelve months of maternity leave, and so that my my plan was sort of to be off for the year, you know, and do that, and then and then definitely go back to work. Um, and when my son was born, he had very significant health challenges um, that we didn't know about, or we didn't like didn't know about when I was pregnant. Um, and that, it, and quickly like that became this completely consuming thing, you know, as we all know, having a baby is consuming enough, but I think having, you know, having a baby with, um, you know, health challenges where they are, you know, admitted to hospital for long periods of time and all that, it really, you know, completely turns your world upside down. And I, and I decided maybe like, I guess around the time I started writing, like around six months in, like when he was around six months old, I just realized like, I couldn't go back to work, you know, with that, with the needs that my child had and, um, you know, like just the care that he needed at that time and all of the hospital time and all of that. So I, I kind of made that decision halfway through the maternity leave not to go back. Um, but was very lucky to be in a position to do that. And that was a complete privilege, you know, that I I feel like a lot of my writing life has been a result of that privilege. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really, that time, I think I really realized like my, and my, and I saw, I could see, you know, everywhere in the halls of the hospital and, you know, all of that, the mothers who didn't, couldn't make that choice and had to, you know, leave their baby at a hospital for a day and go to work and come back at night and pumping all day and trying to breastfeed. I mean, it was just, it's, it is so hard. It is so hard. Um, so many people are in such tough situations, you know, when it comes to that balance, but yeah, but, but in a weird way, you know, that that did allow me to start writing. And I don't think I would have started writing if I had have gone back to that job um, in publishing. I, I almost, I'm almost certain that I would not have started writing. Um, so in a, in a way it kind of worked out in this sort of, yeah, sort of strange um, way for me, but, but yeah, I do think, I think it is, I think you asked more specifically about kind of that creativity and writing and, oh, you're a writer all day into your home. I mean, childcare is something that writers don't talk about a lot. And um, I've actually, I've done some events with writers recently where um, women, mothers, um, who we, we've all talked about childcare. And, you know, if you cannot afford to pay a babysitter to watch your kids while you write, it is very, very difficult to be productive. And there are not many people who are, you know, aspiring to write or even published writers who can afford to pay for childcare while they write. And so, um, yeah, it, it is it is tough. And I think for a lot of families and a lot of women, because the creative work or the work of writing, it is, it is, it can be hard to justify to ourselves or to others sometimes, you know, because it is not this one hour of work equals a a certain billing rate or a certain whatever it is. It is structured just so differently. It can just be really hard, I think, to justify, um, which it shouldn't be, but it does feel that way sometimes. Yeah. I think there's no, there's no solution and I think you know that's so true as well that the nature of writing I mean it's something I really really struggle with the sort of how much of the work is work mm. like I'm working all the time but am I working mm-hmm. and 
that so and well I something I really really miss about freelance journalism there was a period where I was doing a lot more kind of tight turnaround like opinion mm. pieces and it was like here's your rate and it's like well I can do this in two hours I've made this much money a yes. day this mm-hmm. feels like an acceptable day rate I am like a human being productive and it's so much more kind of nebulous with books and the sort of you know emails about like oh I've you know just arranged to go for a cup of coffee with my new publicist and that's work but is it work again I think because my parents put a lot of pressure on me to do well at school Mm. which was you know I think the the best of intentions and that's that's sort of how how can I justify what I do all day and trying to remind myself like no one cares no one is interested no one is checking (laughs) yes it's true I'm still trying to impress a teacher who does not exist. (laughs) Me too. No, I get that. I really get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes with, I mean, I hope a lot of it comes with feels better over time, you know, with wisdom and, you know, with age and um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I can feel myself starting to let go of that um, a little bit, a little bit. And maybe that's just, post-pandemic maybe that's just my kids being a bit older I don't know but starting to let go of that a little bit but I I certainly it is it's still there it's still there that need to want to feel proving and productive and even like the, the you know you know you know in writing there's so much time spent thinking you know and that those days when you know you feel oh you feel so excited because you've got you know four hours ahead where it's just you and your laptop and you're going to go to your favorite writing place or the library or wherever you want to write and you're just going to do it you know and then sometimes those days you produce hardly anything you know you, you really do you 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 leave feeling sort of disappointed in yourself and you haven't hit a word count and you haven't, but that, you know, it, I can see looking back on projects. I mean, it's still productive time in a, in a weird sense because you have, you know, you've thought through things in a certain way or you decide what you don't want to write about, or you, you know, even if you delete something or, you know, but that it's very hard to come to terms with that in this society. I think about that well, being I, I still remember so vividly the moment when I figured out the ending for Insatiable, mm. my first novel, which, and I'd written 50,000 words and I was stuck and I was like, do I, do I thriller up? Do I, do I, do I go dark? I don't know what, I've got all these people and I've got their story, but I don't know where it goes. And it came to me and I just, um, I'd been to the gym and I'd been to the supermarket and it was really rainy and really windy and I'd had these really heavy shopping bags and I was on foot and I was feeling really, really fed up and just trying to kind of, you know, when the rain is just like driving into your face and you're kind of trying to duck it and all of that was going on. And then I, this bit of my brain lit up and I was like, oh, and I was thinking about this one character and I'm like, oh, she's just kind of... I don't know who she is and she's just quite cruel and quite mean and she's annoying and and I was like, oh oh no maybe maybe she's the whole story and I think it's almost mm. like I had to just distract as much of my brain yeah. as possible and all of that anxiety and that really forceful panicky kind of you know trying to push myself and then and yeah and that was like that was a really great working day yeah. in terms of mm. what you know it was invaluable I could have written like a 10,000 I could never have written 10,000 words in a day my absolute maximum on a really good writing day I think I could do 3,000 words yeah that's, wow which still that's, yeah. a that's a good day good day oh I, to- I can totally relate to that I can totally relate to that and and you wouldn't you know clock that up to being you know, the traditional, it doesn't look like the good working day, you know, but it is, I had the same similar experience where I was um, a few weekends ago, I went to New York with my mother and my two sisters, which was so fun. And this long overdue, we'd never done a girl's trip, all of us together. 
And I was feeling a little bit, you know, guilty before I went about like, you know, just that feeling of, oh, I really got to be working on this next idea and like, you know, trying to figure it out and I need to get things on paper and feeling a bit of that pressure, but, but when had so much fun and was really enjoying the weekend. And, um, and then on the last day walking, you know, wherever we were walking through somewhere, Greenwich Village or somewhere with my sister and having this very kind of, you know, casual conversation with her. And all of a sudden, this 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 real pivotal moment in the next book just came to me, just came to me in this conversation that we were having. And it was like, and it felt the same. It was the same thing. It was this my subconscious really handing me this beautiful gift, you know, on this weekend that I'd completely taken off of work. So sometimes it does happen that way, you know, and it is all the work that you do before that that sets you up for those beautiful moments, you know. So we do, we do need to reconsider, you know, what that success looks like. I am so delighted for you. What a gorgeous thing to happen. Um, Ashley, I could just like talk to you for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, but I know um, you've probably got things to do. So <laughs> I end this by asking, and I suspect I know what you're going to say. Mm. What does the expression dream job mean to you? Mm. Well, yes, I am living it. I am living it. I really am. I, I feel, you know, it's funny because yes, to circle back to what we first talked about, you know, this was the thing I always dreamed of that I didn't, couldn't see my way to, or didn't know how to get there. Um, but always wanted. And so I, I I am truly, truly grateful for it every day to be doing this. I think that's my favorite answer. Aww. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's been so lovely to spend this time with oh, you. Thank you, you so Daisy. much for coming on the podcast. Thank you I've so much. I've had a blast. Huge thanks to Ashley. Daisy is Careering is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska with special thanks to Sphere and Little Brown and Doubleday Canada. Careering is published in the UK by Sphere and in North America by Doubleday Canada. It's available online and from all good bookshops. I'll leave you with this from Maya Angelou. The desire to reach the stars is ambitious. The desire to reach hearts is wise. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 